Well, good old sports fans, we made it to our first Friday as a daily show. Basketball on the West Coast dragging a little bit this morning. Yep. Had to put a little extra pep in my coffee. Yep. And I'm dragging along with it, too. But um, interesting games last night. Very good games. Um, you had uh, the Brooklyn Nets versus the Celtics, which is a very interesting game. You had two of the top teams on the East Coast going at it. Um, I thought it was be it was a interesting game. You know, the Nets hung hung well uh, with the with the Celtics. You know, with KD being out and everything. I didn't get to watch that game much. I've seen some of the highlight clips of it, and uh, oh, I was here for it. I was in this chair, yeah. plugged. Double header on TNT. See, nah, I was a, uh, I was in on the Lakers game. That's what I was in on. Yeah, That's but, my team. Well, I, yeah, but I gotta follow everything because we're in the storytelling business. Yeah, the analysis business. But um, I mean, I, I, from seeing the clips, I thought it was a good game, and um, obviously a hard fought game. I mean, when you have two of the top teams in the uh in the conference, you know, that's. You would think that oh, this is going to be a bloodbath, you know. This it's going to be a battle, and that it was. But you know, Celtics just you know, yeah, you know, they just did what they do. Well, they pulled away, you know, late uh, in that ball game. Yeah. But I I thought that there was a lot of positives on both sides. Uh, you know, yeah. just watching the game. Uh, let's see, that final was one hundred nine to ninety eight. Uh, but, you know, just some, some takeaways. I thought it said more about Brooklyn and Brooklyn's potential. Uh, now, just on the Celtic side, uh, they're just flat good. I mean, like, from top to bottom, you know, uh, you, you're you're looking at them and you go, hey, who do you stop? Yeah. that was That's the big question. You know, you've got Grant Williams, he had 12 points. Jason Tatum had 20. So on a night that Jason Tatum has an off night, you still win. Uh, because you look down, Wyatt had 15, Marcus Smart had 16, Brogdon had 16, uh, Cornette had 11, and and I mean, and you said guys out. I mean that that was what amazed me is just how solid top to bottom in their rotations. You know, uh, they they do a good job of no matter who's on the court, they seem to have a cohesive uh, unit out there. I I was just impressed with them. I thought. You know, watching them, that hey, that as of today, that's the team to beat in the East. I, yeah. I I say that's the team to beat in the NBA. I mean, having watched both conferences, I think that they are hands down uh, the team to beat in the NBA. No, yeah. no question. Well, like I said, they do what they do, and you know, we talked about many of times. You know, they have a complete basketball team. They have shooters, man. Um, and it is impressive that you know on one of Jason Tatum's off nights. You know they still get a win. They still, uh, they still show up. Uh, those the players that are surrounded by them. So that's pretty good. Um, but the Brooklyn Nets have a an opportunity to be another dominant team. I think the three top teams on the on the East, as we talked about, is Boston, Brooklyn, and the Pelicans. Yeah. And so with with. With Brooklyn sitting there in the middle, I think they have uh, what it takes to be a dominant team. I mean, if they could get KD back, and if KD was playing last night, that's a totally different game. It's a more 
I mean, the the score's probably closer. They, Brooklyn probably wins it. But, I mean, with Kyrie, Ben Simmons, and those other guys, you know, by, uh, banding together to, uh, to, to play out there, you know, to play out there, you know, what they're supposed to do to the best of their abilities, I think with that score that was given, it was a very good game. Um, well, and, and you also have to think Boston was also without Jalen Brown, who the night before had scored 41, he's going to be out a little bit with an abductor strain. Yes. Uh, so I, I just thought, but you, to your point, Brooklyn's also without KD. Yeah. Now, I will say that if, if they can float water here, uh, and just kind of find their rhythm, which at times they did last night. The second half, it kind of seemed to fade away. But if they can find their rhythm offensively uh, and just kind of stay afloat, they still have a chance at this, right. especially with Kevin Durant. I think that you play you know, Boston in a series and you've got Kevin Durant, I think that's a great series. I think that that's a boat race. Uh, you know, Contrary to what some believe of just hand Boston the trophy, I think that... Brooklyn, my takeaway from last night was Brooklyn is a legitimate contender. Boston, as of today, is the more solid team, but Brooklyn is a legitimate, you know, second there yeah. that, hey, in a series, anything can happen. You get KD hot, Kyrie seems to have found his place, and the one that stood out to me last night was Ben Simmons. Now, I, it, I get it. Ben Simmons didn't score, but he had 15 assists. That's a season high for him. It feels like just watching him play, he's comfortable. He doesn't feel, you know, all the pressure that he did in Philadelphia. And he says, listen, just just let me kind of set the tone and feed the basketball, and I'm good to go. Well, yeah, this is all he has to worry about, you know, just play his game, you know. At this point in your career, man, you know, it's, it's really – because you, you've been through the turmoil. You, you've been through the down talk. The jokes and all this. At this point in your career, man, all Ben Simmons had, all you have to do is just play your game. I mean, that's all. You you can't you can't allow critics to uh, to define you as a basketball player. But I mean, just play his game. That's all he has to do. It, if he's contributed contributing, but I think to, what his game is compared to what we thought is different. Well, because yeah, you know, everybody possibly, expected him to yeah. be drive to the paint. He didn't do that at all last night. He, and there were times where you know he gets a one on one and he kicks it out. Yeah. He says, "I'm not going to do that." And you know, I I was listening last night. Of course, is you know Charles Barkley was like, "Hey, you've got to drive to the paint, King Smith. You've got to drive to the paint." And I get what they're saying. A guy of his size, a guy of his potential. You know, traditionally, we tell that guy go to the paint. If you get fouled, you get fouled, but go up there. You know, make, make a, a a go of it. But there's a sense where I'm watching him, I'm going, okay, I understand from that perspective what you're saying. Mm. But at the same time, why mess with something that seems to be working for him right now? You know, don't push the issue. You don't have to. He doesn't have to be that guy. You know, would that have helped last night? Yes, it would have. D- did that ultimately determine... You know, whether or not they won or, uh, uh, the game, no, in my opinion, it didn't. Because the biggest deal about the game from the first half to the second half, the first half, Brooklyn was able, I mean, just to take it to them in transition. And Boston was kind of able to set their tempo more, you know, in the second half of the ball game. Brooklyn is a very, very, very dangerous team in transition. Uh, they're quick. 
they get the basketball down there. They're not afraid to take a three, you know, drive the thing, whatever they need to do. But they're a dangerous team in transition, and a big part of that is Ben Simmons. His ability to get up, get the rebound, get the basketball down the court, and get after it. And so, I, I again, I understand what you're talking about. You know, if you're Charles Barkley or Kenny Smith, and you're saying, hey, a guy of his size, a guy of his you know previous ability needs to be able to get up there and make the shots, don't necessarily disagree with it. But at the same time, if I'm Brooklyn, I don't push that issue. You know, if I'm Jacques Vaughn, I, I'm not going to him, uh, you know, and saying, hey, I've got to push this issue. Because one of the things that Jacques Vaughn said before the game, you know, when asked about, okay, what about this big turnaround since you've taken over? He said, well, Katie and Kyrie and Ben, they let me coach them. You know, they, they're listening to what I have to say. They've removed the interim tag. He is going to be, you know, the coach moving forward in Brooklyn. And so... Why would you go and mess that up it, it, at this point? You know, you, you're on a roll. You're right there with Boston. You proved last night that, hey, we can play with those guys. You know, it's not going to be a, a, a shutout series if we meet them again in the playoffs. We can compete. And so I, I think that you just have to let him do his thing as long as it's not hindering your team. And in my opinion, it is helping you. Let him do his thing. If it's in transition, if it's driving to the basket, whatever he's comfortable doing at this point, don't push the issue. Uh, but I thought, hey, he did a great job of kind of facilitating that offense uh, on his side of the ball. And, and he played good defense. I mean, he was get, you know contesting shots up on the glass, getting those rebounds. I, I thought overall, as much grief as we like to give Ben Simmons, that wasn't a bad game. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I said a couple of weeks uh Maybe last week, yeah, I'd say that you know he was coming into his own. Um, he wasn't scoring as much, but he had found his place. He was he was helping the team out. He was doing what he could do, and what he you know I guess he would think he's doing best. So you can't be displeased with that. But um, the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh boy, yeah, the, the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I disagree with what Charles Barkley said, is that the Lakers suck. I think the the Lakers are one of those teams where you get to a year where you have a new head coach who is defensive-minded and um, he, he has to coach an offense as well. The Lakers' defense, I mean, as far as it's been this season, it's had its struggles, but here recently... Within the last two months, it's gotten better. Uh, and, you know, that's good to see. You have matchups with uh, Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. I wouldn't just say just the Mavericks because it's really Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. Um, because he's a big piece of that of that team and a big um, attribute of it. So, I just, I just say this about that game last night is that defensively, defensively they did what they could. Uh, Luca just shot and just shot and I, just shot. Okay, but here's where I disagree with the defense. You have 11 seconds left in the ball game. You double teamed Luca the entire second half because I mean Luca was killing you. They had no answer for him one on one. Westbrook couldn't do it. LeBron couldn't do it. Even though LeBron tried to pick on him, that didn't work out. He got embarrassed. So he said, "Oh well, never mind. Let's go to a double team." You've been double teaming. You got 11 seconds left in regulation. And for whatever reason, you don't double-team him on the perimeter. I, I didn't understand that move at all. 
why get away from what's worked for you? I, you know, I understand he lit you up the first half. Well, that that's, that's the thing about – that's the – I mean, that's the thing about – that's why I say it's had its struggles is because if, you, if you've watched the Los Angeles Lakers game, in the second half you question the defensive calls that Darvin Ham – Calls out there. And, Anybody and this calls is a out guy there. who's supposed to be a defensive-minded. Yeah, basketball and coach. and this is the and that, that's what I noticed is even you know when they played the Lakers, I mean uh, the Celtics, and they played them so close is that you ran a weird defense. You ran a, a bunch. It's what looked like it was a cluttered defense. So everybody was cluttered in one spot, mm-hmm. and with that being done, you left one to two. Shooters open uh, on the three point line to just drain them, and that's what happened last night in the uh, in the overtime. Uh, the second one, the second overtime, the final one that they had is that the defensive calls were questionable. It was like, okay, what kind of defense are you running when you're leaving shooters open? You know, that can just that. Now, I'm not talking about just guys that just that's trying to shoot. I'm talking no, about the, the magic. Mavericks, you know, top shooters and uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Luca. You, you're leaving these guys open, and um, you you got to get better on your defensive calls and and late in the game because it's, it it looks sloppy. It, it look, it's not working. It's not together. Um, but then on your offensive side, you have Westbrook who's on fire uh, going into the fourth quarter and, and leading out. And so, Westbrook's your guy at this moment. He's he, you know, he's the one that's you know facilitating the game at this point. And this is why I've been saying: if you give Westbrook a chance, if you give him you know the time that he needs to get going, he's going to get going, and he's going to be your guy. But this is the this is the downfall of the Lakers, which was the downfall of the Lakers last season as well. Is that you allow LeBron to play point? Yep. And you take the point to another, put the point at another position. This is the thing, and I don't understand for the for whatever reason. Um, LeBron, because and this is the amazing part. LeBron said it himself: is that you put LeBron at point when LeBron is not a point guard. I he's a court. He he has somewhat of a court presence. He's not. He but he's not your guy that you give it to. When you want to close, and I, I said this many times. This is my personal opinion. LeBron, LeBron is not clutch. He's not your clutch player. No, I mean you. Had, I, I mean he's not your clutch player. He's not the guy that you should hand the ball off, hand the ball to in the final seconds of the game. He hasn't been that in in the last maybe five to ten years. And you take that, and you and you think coaches will be look at the statistics. I mean, people want to talk about stats all day, and they even show it on TV. And they want to talk about stats, but I'm not about stats because stats don't win you games. You can have, um, who was that the other night that had, uh, oh, with the Pelicans, uh, who was that had 38 points and they still lost. Mm-hmm. Stats does nothing. Stats do not win you games. It's game planning and it's game play. And LeBron last night is not a closer. His gameplay in that area is not good. And he's put Lake, the, the Lakers in more positions to go into overtime when they're obviously gassed. 
Because when you have 20 plus seconds left on the clock and you're going down the court and you're running point and you're just standing there dribbling the ball until it gets down to the last five five to three seconds and then you decide to go in or pull up and shoot and you miss and you either lose the game or you put them into overtime, that's not good. And that's happened more times than not with the Lakers with Le- the ball being LeBron- in LeBron hands when he isn't the clutch shooter. I don't understand why the ball wasn't in, in Westbrook's hand and Westbrook was calling point and LeBron was kicking out. I don't understand that. And then on top of that, you take a three-point fadeaway when you're 0-6 for the night. Why are you pulling up for the three-point line, LeBron? You ain't made a three all night. And, and that that's why that's why I you know I question the coaching when it comes to coaching with LeBron or coaching LeBron is you have put your confidence in this guy who is not a clutch player. He's not your closer. You don't need you don't need LeBron just for the antics of it. I think that's what it is. Is that they put it in LeBron's hand because it's it's not necessarily that you know he he gonna make the shot, but it's because it's LeBron James. It's the only reason it's the ball is in his hands is because it's LeBron LeBron James, not because he he's gonna make the shot, but because he's LeBron James. And Westbrook is your and like you know other people were saying they were saying LeBron sold that game and. He, they sold on Westbrook. You do not run point with Westbrook. I mean, LeBron. Well, but but see, this goes back to what I've been saying. I, I don't see where the Lakers keep everybody because it's not. I mean, it's just not working. I don't, that, was, that was that was proven last night. Because and, and and I understand. You know, everybody's gonna. Well, you know, Darvin Ham. It's his decision. He's the coach. No, it's Rob Palinka's decision. And here's why: Rob Palinka sold his soul to LeBron James. He let him have the keys to the kingdom, said get rid of who you want to get rid of, bring in who you want to bring in, all those things. Everybody just assumed that Darvin Ham could come in, lay down the law to... No, you don't lay down the law to LeBron James, not unless you're Phil Jackson, which is uh, famously known for doing uh, those type of things, but it's also why LeBron wanted him at arm's length. When it came to finding a, a basketball coach, it's why Magic Johnson walked away from the Lakers because he got tired of hearing about how LeBron James this and LeBron James that. And and so I think you've got everybody in an unfair position. You're exactly right. Last night, Russell Westbrook had been on fire. He's the guy. He should have had the basketball. Yes, you know, Luka makes that shot with 11 seconds, but you still have a timeout. Get down there, do what you got to do, kick it out, whatever. But put your team in a position to win. LeBron refuses to do that. Why? Because he thinks that it's about LeBron James. And we can talk, you know, all day long about Darvin Ham should. And I agree. You know, again, I go back to why are you leaving Luca? You know, isolated, not double teaming him. All those things. And there's some. There were a couple of other situations there where I'm kind of questioning the philosophy as far as the rotations and things like that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you handed the keys to the kingdom in L.A. over to LeBron James, and that is a dangerous thing. Go ask all the franchises that have ever had it. You did it in Miami. You did it in Cleveland twice. And we see where those teams are now. You know, that they're not where they could have been. They're not sustainable 
franchises. You know, they'll, they'll go in their little spurts. But ever since then, they haven't been sustainable. Why? Because when you hand the keys to the kingdom to LeBron James, he is going to burn your franchise to the ground to build his brand. And I think that if you, you know, if you're a, a Lakers, you know, front office executive, you've got to be p- pressing the issue with Polinka. Like, what are we doing here? You know, we had an opportunity at home to beat, you know, Luka Doncic on a well, night. It was, he, the, it, was the, know, it was the same thing with the Celtics. You you had an opportunity to beat the Celtics. But the same thing is you hold on to the ball. It's the same scenario with this. Is when Lakers are in a crunch moment against good teams, and the ball is in LeBron's hands, it's the same outcome. But and the other thing is this is that no one has checked LeBron, and no one wants to talk. These these are the conversations nobody has because it's almost as if if you are still delusional. On the point, oh, LeBron's the goat. He's the guy. No, he's no, not. I mean, that, but they, that's they not the point. They won't put up all these stats about him and Michael Jordan and Magic. All you know, last night they were. I'm not. There. Yeah, but that's but why he's I'm telling not you. Those players. Yeah, but that's what I'm telling you, and that's what I'm saying. I don't care about stats. I I could care less about stats when it comes to winning games and getting the job done. And this, and the thing is, the job wasn't done, and you had fair opportunity to get it done. But the thing is also this is. Everybody, nobody wants to have this conversation. Nobody talks about this. And therefore, LeBron isn't being checked. It's almost a sense as if they're scared of LeBron. You can't be a wimp. I, I, this is a grown, you, they're grown men in that organization, just like LeBron is a grown man. I don't care. If you want to leave, leave. Take your millions, whatever we done paid you, billions, whatever, and leave. Because at this point, somebody has to check LeBron in his chest about it. Because at and and Darvin Ham is going to be probably going to be checked too. You got to get out of that mentality that the ball has to go to LeBron. If LeBron ain't being 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 clutch for you, get the ball out of his hands. It was a different story with Kobe. You knew Kobe could pull up from three point or the um, baseline with that famous famous fadeaway shot, and that's going to win him. That's going to win y'all the game. LeBron isn't the same. He's not the same guy. You have to really look at it and obsess. Okay, what's the percentages? Because I've seen games since I've, I've been watching the Lakers all my life. And since LeBron has been there, I've seen games far too many times since he's been there where it's been the same outcome as it was last night. It, 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 the, the percentages are low in the times that he has made those kind of shots. More so than not, he hasn't, he hasn't made those shots. He's done the same thing over and over again. He's put the Lakers, that team, and the predicament to lose rather than to win. And it's time out. Somebody needs to check him. And, and somebody you needs a different game plan in the final minutes and the final seconds of a game, especially when they're close. You can't continue the same thing because Lakers have, have lost way too many winnable games with that same outcome. Well, as long as LeBron's there, that's what you're going to get. Until, you're going to have to. Either that or they're going to have to trade everybody else. And yeah, run into I, the at this point, but this is what I say. You're going to have to get rid of LeBron. I've been saying this. You're going to have to because. Well, you can't till this summer. You're yeah. stuck with him this year. Well, I mean, do what you can this season. But, but if you're Russell Westbrook and you're watching last night, and because we talked about this before the show. You shut him down for well, what reason? Well, not only that, but I'm talking about hypothetical things here. You're watching Dallas, who now has beat you twice. You're watching Luka Doncic. 
And you're watching him not only go up and get his. I mean, he, he had uh, 35 points last night. But he's not only going up and getting his. He's feeding the ball to other players. Uh, I, I'm going to get the exact number as to... Uh, let, let's see, 35 points. He had 13 assists. He's feeding the ball. Uh, Stan Van Gundy said that last night on the... And, and by the way, just... Side note here, Stan Van Gundy is not only a great, was a, a, a pretty good coach in his own right, he is a great basketball analyst. Like, I, I enjoy watching games just to hear him break things down and, and talk. But he, he made a point, he said, you know, it, it's rare that guys like that feed the ball to other players as much as he does. But Luka knows that if we want to win, I've got to be able to do that. If I'm Russell Westbrook, and you're not going to get rid of LeBron. Everybody's wondering if AD's, you know, when or if he's coming back. Pat Bev's already saying, hey, I want out. This is a disaster. I shouldn't be here. Westbrook says, hey, listen, I could go to Dallas. Because Dallas is one player away from being a true contender in their conference. One player away, and they're, I mean, they're a very good team. I think that Tim Hardaway Jr. is a, a very underrated, you know, supporting cast type of player. Uh, he was draining threes. Luca did a good job of kind of allowing him to get isolated and get open, and he picked his spots there. But if I'm Russell Westbrook, I'm looking at that going, man, there's a team that I can go have a chance to, to contend. The, the, problem, the problem is it's not that it's not that he could be looking there. I mean, that's not the – the problem is, is that – Westbrook fits with the Lakers. But the problem is, is when you have someone that's overpowering, overshadowing. It's not and, and it's not a good look, you know. Oh, he fits there. But you have to you have to allow other people to to shine, to do what they do. Why Give other people a chance. There? But but as it stands, he's not going to succeed yeah. there because LeBron's not going to let him. I'm but saying the, uh, if I'm Russell Westbrook, for Russell Westbrook, forget the Lakers because they've already well, I, ruined your I, career. For, for Russell Westbrook, as a player, I'm looking to go elsewhere. It's I, either me or LeBron. I, I say this about, about this situation and going to end here is that the Lakers fan base, the Lakers fan base, people, whoever, are fed up with it. I've said this from the beginning. As Lakers fans, I got the notion when LeBron first came to, to Los Angeles, it wasn't the best hype of it all. It's because I say this about the Lakers fans. We're spoiled. We got 20, good, 20 years of Kobe. Some of them, some of them, was with Shaq. But spoiled. We've seen... Before that, you had magic. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the pinnacle of what it looks like to be great. And so when LeBron James comes in, and it's no longer about just about just being great, but it's about a show, it's about stats, it ruins everything. Because at this point, there's no longer a, a, a standard... The standard has been kicked out. The standard of, of, of greatness, of whatever what it has been, what it means to be a Laker, was kicked out. And sadly, it, it was kicked out the day that 
Kobe retired and LeBron James came in. It was kicked out. And I said in 2020, and I, I and I guess I have to retract what I said, is with, with Kobe, LeBron James was the only one left in the league that could have carried that team. But looking at it now, he ain't it's not it's not carrying. I mean it's Yeah, I it's think not a, it's, not, it's not a mix. I, I think everybody assumed he was just gonna take up the mantle where the, the yeah. former Lakers greats had been, and he's just not that guy. That's not his makeup. And as a result of that, the Lakers don't have a real offensive identity either. Uh, you know, you, you didn't see a real cohesive unit there. But but you know, Hey, until they make a decision either to trade away the people around him or to trade LeBron James, it is what it is in L.A. Sad, because I think that's bad for basketball. I think it's bad for basketball as a whole when the Lakers aren't very good. Uh, you know, I, I, I just think that for the business side of things, it's better when the Lakers are contenders. But then on Dallas's point, you know, we've talked about Darvin Ham and some questionable decisions. There was one that really stuck out to me Last night with Jason Kidd. So, you go into overtime, and immediately, Russell Westbrook lowers his shoulder into Luka, gets called for a flagrant foul. Now, as the rules are, you get to choose who's going to go shoot your free throws. He sends Luka, who's his third best option, to the line. I don't know if it was a case of him not realizing in that moment, oh, I can pick. You know, because I, I've been in that situation where, you know, you, you get those foul situations and it doesn't click with you. Well, I don't have to send, you know, the guy that got fouled. So I don't know if that's what happened or if he just had that kind of confidence of, hey, you know, Luca's been on fire tonight. He's a little upset. He's fired up. We're going to send him to the line. I don't know. But you, you kind of put yourself in a precarious situation because you had a chance there to go up big at the beginning of the overtime, get your two free throws, get a possession back, go down and score again. So I think that, you know, you got to look back at that and go, hey, maybe you could have avoided, you know, the second overtime if you get the momentum in the, the beginning of that first one. But overall, I thought uh, Dallas had a good night last night. I thought that they showed their potential, but I also think, you know, that they showed how close they are and yet so far. You know, you're, you're right there, but it goes back to what I've been saying. You've got to get somebody else, get one more key player you know, to help build around uh, Luca, and I think you have a, a good chance to really move that forward. Uh, now, there was a, a comment made yesterday, I want to touch on this very quickly, uh, by Max Kellerman, that Kyrie is one of the top players uh, in the NBA. Today? What do you th- yes, a- as of today. What, what do you th- I, I want to get some, some thoughts on that, because I've got some as, as well. I don't know whether to put him in top 10 or top 20. True. He's somewhere in there. I wouldn't say. But, yeah, he's definitely. I, I would say he's a he's a top player. Uh, reg- regardless of what these last two years have been like for him, Kyrie is a, he, he is one of those top players. You can't, dis- you can't discredit him. can't lowball him, blackball him, blacklist, whatever you want to do. He is that guy. Well, I think I think the last two years have made us forget who he's been. Right. You know, because... For stupid pre, reasons. Yeah, but pre-LeBron in Cleveland, that second time, 
Kyrie was the guy. I mean, like, if Kyrie didn't score 40-plus every night, you were disappointed, you know, because you expected that out of him. He's still that kind of a player. He, he you know, did his job last night uh, in a big game, a big situation. So I, I agree. I think I, I probably put him in the top 10 uh, in the league as it stands currently. Yeah. I, I do think he's a top 10 player. I didn't have a problem uh, with those comments, some did, and I think it, it's just the fact that we're unfairly judging him off these two years, off, off the and, last. And, two and it's seasons. only because of personal reasons. Now, nobody else. It's, it was personal reasons, but nobody else thinks about this. The man was being forced to do something that he felt was wrong and was unconstitutional. And he did not follow through with it because he didn't want to. You can't force somebody to do something that they don't want to do. And that was the stipulations that New York uh, had at the time. And so he took a break. You know, if if I don't want to, if I don't want to shoot something up in my body, I don't know what it is. I ain't gonna do it. Well, I, I think too. We we always say well, we want these guys to be more transparent. We want them to be more human. You know, we want all those things. But then that's what he did, and we crucified him. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I think it just comes down to, he's, a, he's his own man, he's his right, own person. Right, right. You know, there were he wasn't the only one. You had Aaron Rodgers in the NFL saying, "Listen, what, what are we doing here? At what point it was it your job to get into our personal lives?" And that was kind of the point that Kyrie was making. And so I do think that we, you know, we judge him unfairly for some of those things. But as a basketball player, I think he's top ten, yeah. I, and I think he's proven that. It may have been one of the most on-point things Kellen Moore has said about basketball. Sometimes I wonder if he even knows what basketball is. You say LeBron James is better than Kobe, you got your everlasting mind. Uh, but I, that's probably one of the most on-point things that he said ever since I've been watching him and listening. Yeah, to him. I tend not to agree with Max Kellerman, but I thought he says that the was most actually pretty, like you said, pretty on-point. Yeah, for once. Um, Talking about somebody else who's dominating the headlines and doing a good job of keeping his name out there constantly is Jim Harbaugh. So, Jim Harbaugh interviews virtually for the Denver job. He's the one that reached out to Carolina. He's been linked to the Indianapolis job. Uh, You know, there's some thought that, hey, if Sean McVay steps away from L.A., that he's going to want to go out there uh, to the, you know, back to, to the West Coast there in Los Angeles. But then there was a report yesterday that he had a meeting with uh, Michigan's president and athletic director. So this is pro, uh, pro football talk, or I'm sorry, not pro football talk, uh, NBC Sports. Mike Florio says uh, that it was released. I, I'm pleased to share that I've been having very positive and constructive conversations with our athletic director and football coach, this is per Michigan President Santa Ono uh, on Twitter. He says, Ward Manuel, who is the AD and I, both want to see Jim Harbaugh stay as the head football coach of the University of Michigan Wolverines. Now, this comes a day after it was reported that Michigan's probably not going to do anything as far as a restructured con- contract until after the investigation is released You know, and what infractions are going to be imposed upon them by the NCAA. You get the sense, though, that there are some behind-closed-doors conversations with NCAA going, okay, listen, you may be pushing one of our biggest names out of college football. 
you know, that your intrusion into this may be pushing him. And so you get the sense that we're not going to officially announce anything, but we're having productive conversations. What does that mean? Nobody's going to, you know, press him. But I, I think it's also strategic. He didn't do this in a press release. He didn't do it in a, you know, a setting where he could be asked questions. He did this on Twitter, you know, so that there's not a, a whole lot of dialogue. But he says, I've been having very positive and constructive conversations with Jim Harbaugh. What does that, what, what are positive and constructive conversations at this point? What does that mean? What does Jim, my question, and nobody's asked him, what do you want? Like, if you're Jim Harbaugh, what are you looking for? Do you want to go win another Super Bowl? Is this about the money, you know, the fact that you had to take the, the pay cut after the da- disaster that was 2020? You know, what what is this about for Jim Harbaugh? You know, there is this sense that he was oh so close to a Super Bowl with the 49ers. But of the jo- here's here would be my question. Of the jobs that are out there, that you're kind of being linked to if you're Jim Harbaugh. Which one's going to get you a Super Bowl anytime soon? I mean, do you really... Uh, there's There are people within Sean Payton's camp that said, yeah, he interviewed with Denver in person. Yeah, he's willing to listen. But we kind of don't think that he wants to deal with that situation there with Russell Wilson. Well, what makes Jim Harbaugh want to deal with that? I mean, I, I know that he's been telling people, hey, I've got a plan. But what's your plan? You've got to look beyond just the X's and O's with Russell Wilson. I mean, you've got a whole locker room. There are people in that locker room that that feel distance from him, where he's demanding his own office, and and he's demanding this, and he's demanding that. You don't have, you know, just a whole lot of weapons there, so you're going to have to look at that. But if you're Jim Harbaugh, why that job? You know, I I get that maybe there's a pull to Indianapolis because, you know, you played there. If, in fact, you do get a conversation, which he has not yet, uh, which is kind of intriguing to me that Jim Irsay came out and said, hey, I'm interested in him, but he hasn't done anything as far as a formal interview. What is this about? That so, That's the bottom line. Is this you, about football, so you, money? What is it? Oh, football. Uh, I say football. You asked the question, what's so appealing about that job is the defense. That's what's so appealing. If you forget, and we, are, we haven't even mentioned it yet, I don't know why, we mentioned the offense numerous times. Jim Harbaugh runs a run-heavy offense and all this stuff. But he also architects great he, yes, defenses. He, he brings you got to remember the defense that that San Francisco team had with Rokon Swift, uh, Smith. Oh, no, Alden Smith. Actually, uh, yeah, Alden Smith and all those guys over there. That defense in San Fran was elite. And so the defense in... Denver, believe it or not, was in the top yes. five. They were number number two. And yeah, uh, I remember watching a game late in the season, and they they said that I was like, "Oh, those poor guys." Yeah, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it until I looked it up, and they had San Francisco, and then they had Denver Broncos. And you you miss out on that is because of the games that they win won and the games that they lost, and they lost more than they had won. Yeah, they like, so. Had four wins. Yeah, there. but you look at the games that they lost. The majority of those games were close games. Uh, weren't you know high scoring games, so they weren't giving up points. So I I sense that Jim Harbaugh looks at that defense and says, okay, that's a real good defense. I just got to clean up the offense, and so it's not a heavy job 
The only thing that I guess that would make it heavy in a sense is that you have to fix whatever it is with that's going on with uh, Russell Wilson. And at this point, you know, you're looking at your, the college ball as well. And honestly, if with the NIL deals and stuff, it's not different. So you're looking at a you're looking at the college world. You're looking at the NFL world. And say, okay, they're almost just just about hand in hand, and the only difference is the maturity-wise and the speed of the game. But, but as far as winning on the big same. stage, okay, national yeah. championship, Super Bowl. So you look at the Big Ten. Right now, for at least another year, your only big big team there, really, as far as a, a, a contest, if Ohio you're looking State. as Ohio State. Even in two years, you got USC, UCLA, but then it's USC, UCLA, Ohio State, and you. Yeah. Four teams. If you go to Denver, look at this division. The Chiefs, who aren't going anywhere. The Chargers, who aren't going anywhere. The Raiders, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, you got to assume they're going to be better at some point. And then there's you. So I, I, I just, I, I still want to know, is it about a championship or is it about a Super Bowl? Like there's a lure to go win a I, Super I, Bowl. I, so it's just like, you know, you, you say that you have to find something new that challenges you, right? Yes. Possibly the same with him. He's looking for a new challenge. He beat Ohio and, State. And now, yeah, yeah, and so he's probably looking for a new challenge. Like, okay, well, I'm ready for the NFL. I'm ready to go back to the NFL. I don't think he's looking for, I say give him about a good, depends on where he goes, two to three years, and he'll be fine. The problem with the NFL now is the problem, the NFL is so impatient with coaches. We've seen more coaches get fired within two to three years than we've seen any of them stay. And the NFL is so impatient, where college is more or more so a lot more patient. So, okay, we're going to give you a chance to get uh, get your game together, get your offense, and your defense philosophy, what you want to do, and how you want to shape this team. We're going to give you time to do that. And, we, and whatever time you need or want, we're gonna do. We're gonna grant you that. We won't cut your contract short unless you do something just totally outrageous. But we'll give you time to get that going. But in the NFL, you don't have that much time. It feels like in today's NFL, you get two years tops. Two years tops. And, and with and to your case in point about you know a different approach in college after the 2020 season. Yes, he had to take a, a pay cut. But everybody assumed, hey, Michigan's about to fire Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. And he doesn't. Why? Because he's, everybody loves him. You're not going to fire him. In Denver, it's going to be, okay, so what? You're Jim Harbaugh. You know, we gave you a couple of years. It didn't work. We're going to move on and go find somebody else. It, 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 and on top of that, you're stuck with, you don't get your quarterback. That's the other side of this. You don't get yeah. your quarterback. Now, the, the, the flip side on, from Russell Wilson's perspective, think about everybody who's being interviewed for this job outside of Sean Payton. They're not throwing the football. No. They're a run first, play you know defense, we're going to control the clock and take it to you. You've got defensive coordinators going to be interviewing for that job. You know, whatever philosophy Kellen Moore would bring to that job because apparently he's going to get an interview. But, but outside of that, it, it's mostly run-heavy, defensive-minded football coaches and so, 
if you're Russell Wilson, I guess it, you know you're sitting in that building going, okay, well, time to get out of the kitchen, and we're gonna bring in a new chef, and we're gonna go back to to what we did in Seattle. But I I, I just want to know what is it for Jim Harbaugh, and if I'm Michigan, you know they're saying that well we're having encouraging, constructive conversations. You know, there does seem to be a growing belief by some that he's going to stay. I don't know what kind of indicators are there, but but there does seem to be a growing belief within uh, the university that he would stay. But at that, okay, do you want to go through this every year? Because it get, you get the sense, you know, after last year, after uh, he didn't get the Minnesota job, he came back and he said, well, I think that ship has sailed. I'm here at Michigan. I want to win a national championship. I'm going to focus on that. But here we are, a year later, and he's right back at it. Like, at what point does Michigan say, okay, listen, make your decision because this is hurting our recruiting process, especially with the new recruiting rules where everything happens sooner, everything happens faster. Mm -hmm. You know, everything's out there. Players are paying more attention on social media than ever before, and they're seeing, hey, here's this guy constantly trying to bolt to the NFL, but he's sitting in my living room saying, you're going to be a, you know, I'm, my, my starter for the next two, yeah. three, four years, but, whatever the case but, may be. You're right there. And to kind of to build off that, you're going to have to, he's going to have to, if he chooses to stay, he may have to reestablish some trust within his, within his team, his staff and everything. Yeah. Because from what they know is the, the, the day before the uh, playoff, semifinal playoff game, you're headed out. You're yeah, leaving. They find out that you're making a phone call yeah. to the Carolina Panthers. And so they're not <laughs> the the trust right there is, is kind of broken. It's like, okay, you know, and, and granted, I mean this is this the world we live in today, social is social media, you know, top heavy and you if you're on social media you see a lot, you read a lot. And so they've probably seen articles and, and headlines about, you know, the situation. But the thing is that the day before the game is, I mean, that's the that's what's the the bulk of it. Because then you're not focused on the game anymore. How can you look down the sideline to a man to lead you, and he's the and he is looking to leave? Like he's not, it, it, he's not gonna have the same trust. And it would have been different if they had called him. Right. He takes but the he, phone call. But then the owner comes out and specifically says, I did nothing. He contacted us multiple times, and I finally took the meeting. Yeah. So, I mean, that that tells me right there, you already were doing whatever it took to put it out there that, hey, I want out. I want to get back in the league. Denver saw that, jumped on it, you know, gave you an interview, and, and, and so on. But then I go back to J.J. McCarthy after getting beat by TCU, watches the TCU celebration. And says, I'm watching that because I want to feel that hurt. I don't want this to happen again. And he says that in the press conference with the belief that Jim Harbaugh is going to lead him to the promised land next season and give him another opportunity to compete for a national championship. And you're talking about, again, a guy who took, who set up a meeting to lead. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. I think it's going to come down to trust. I think it's going to come down to... You know, if you're Michigan, do you, again, I go back to, do you want to continue to put your university through this year in and year out? If it's about the money, ask him. 
Pay the man. Do whatever you got to do. If you want him to stay at Michigan, if not, give him his walking papers and tell him good luck next. But time. if it's about a, if it's about finding a new challenge, and he's at, he decides to stay at Michigan, then he has to change up his offensive philosophy. He has to change his game up if he's looking for a new challenge. He's going to have to do something different within the season to get that blood flowing, you know, that it, it pumping. Because yeah. if it's in Michigan, he's looking at the NFL and looking at these jobs. Like, some of these jobs look pretty good. And I you know, I could possibly be a fit here. I can do so much here and there. And that's probably why he's looking at the Denver job and licking his fingers because it looks good. And and you need a – and you want a new challenge. But if Michigan is just saying, you know, we is going and saying, you know, we've had some pretty good conversations, they're positive, and they're looking to move forward with you as a head coach. Okay, you have to look at your, you have to look at the team that you have in Michigan, and you have to look at uh, the team in Denver. If it were me, and I, you know, looking at both teams and both situations, Michigan is obvious, the obviously the top choice. Uh, As it's constructed. But then, okay, I go back to, you do have to look, you're going to win the Big Ten. Yeah. So you should, if you do that, you're probably in. Then you got to look around. Goes back to, is he satisfied with any kind of a championship or is it specifically a Super Bowl? Because if he's just looking for your ring, college or NFL, are you closer against Alabama, Georgia, USC, a good LSU team that you expect to, to build off of this year. Um, you know, you, you look around, there, there's kind of four other teams that I, uh, you know, off the top of your head that you're looking at and going, they're, they're competitive. You got to expect Ole Miss to be in the mix, you know, with Lane Kiffin over there. So in that playoff conversation, uh, you know, that's not even talking about TCU, but I, I, I'll get to them in a minute. Reasons why I think that that's questionable. But, are you closer against those guys than you would be the Chiefs, Chargers? Uh, you know, looking at the AFC, uh, you know that picture, no, that you're, playoff. You're, picture. you're closer in the NFL than you are in college. Yeah, at, at but, a championship. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're closer to a Super Bowl there. Uh, the Bengals, you know, yeah. are in the AFC. You're, you're closer there in the NFL than you are in college, and here's why. It's because in college, you have such a broad span. So, you have your conference, but when it gets to the playoffs, you have to play other teams outside your conference. Yep. And so, when you get to that Final Four, you're not playing anybody in the Big Ten. You're playing somebody in the SEC. Well, and and they're intentionally going to schedule it to where you don't get another shot at Ohio State. That's (coughs) why they have, for two years in a row, they placed them in such a way... To guarantee that there wouldn't be a rematch yeah. between those two teams. And so when you look at it like that, and then also you look at recruiting in, in the North. Recruiting in the North, unless you're Ohio State and or Michigan, is not that it's not that steep, right? And so Ohio State has a quarterback coming out in the draft. He's from Rockwall. Mm-hmm. Uh, not quarterback, a receiver. Uh, he's from Rockwall. How many players from Texas do you know that goes up north? Well, not many. I mean, they, they stay down here and, and they and go to the SEC. And, and it's notorious. 
at this, and I and I won't say notorious. That's kind of that's a bribe. But you don't, you don't get a lot of guys word. from Florida either going up north. No, but you know where they go. They stay in the SEC or the Big Twelve. Yep. Even the big schools on the West Coast at California, on uh, you know, they recruit that side of the country. Yes, and they come. They're either going up uh, to Oregon, uh, to or staying at staying in Cali at USC or UCLA, mm-hmm. or they're coming east down to the south. They're going. To, they're coming to Texas. Yeah. Or they're going to Alabama, Georgia, Texas A and Texas A and M. These are where these guys are going. And so when you get up, when you have all that talent just packed in the south, and then you go up north, it's, it's there's a – now, north has some talented guys. Michigan has a very talented team. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Ohio State has a very talented team. But the talent level is different. It's lopsided. And when you get, when you get there, and if Jim Harbaugh is going to stay in Michigan – that's where that challenge comes. That's why I say he's got to change something to get his, his get that blood going because in the NFL, you know your conference is set every year. You know, okay, I could possibly meet uh, Kansas City again in the playoffs or uh, uh, Cincinnati or the Chargers. Or the Chargers. Yeah. You know that more times than not, that's going to happen. You know how to prepare for those teams. But in college, when you get to the playoffs, you don't know who you're going to prepare for. Yeah. Especially after a season like this, you don't know what's going to happen. And then you go to the twelve team playoff. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's a sense where he's looking around, going, "Okay, I may have reached the pinnacle by by beating Ohio State two years in a row and getting into the playoffs, yeah. but I can't beat those guys." So yeah. I, I don't know. I think this saga is going to continue for a while until somebody makes a decision and we can move on. So back to TCU and why I, I've told people this was a fluke. Number one, they they prove that they should not have been there. And number two, they're not going back there. You're already seeing things start to fall apart. Max uh, you know, Dugan is moving on. He's going to go to the NFL. You've got some other players going to move on. And then Garrett Riley, your offensive coordinator, is leaving to go to Clemson. Clemson fired their offensive coordinator yesterday. Dabo immediately picks up the phone, gets Garrett Riley, come on down. So he says, see y'all later. I'm out. This is why these Cinderella stories are not sustainable. Because as soon as they happen, the players are leaving, the coaches are leaving. You know, Sonny Dykes, that was his first year on the job, and now he's going to have to go and find another offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, I would have questions about that defense. <laughs> I mean, you know, because it, it seemed like you, you played some teams that took it to you. But <clears throat> a lot of questions there. And that's why everybody was – prior to the <clears> – excuse me – Taking it over for a second. Um, but prior to that, <coughs> TCU is one of those teams where <coughs> you have all these new recruits coming in. And this is the sad thing about college football. It's not like NFL where you have a contract, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> so you have all these new teams, I mean these new recruits coming in, and you're not considering, okay, this coach may not be here next year. You're right. coming in on the on – the, uh, liability of this coach. You know, I'm relying on you to follow through with what you told me. You sat in my living room, sent me all these letters and told me that you were going to do I'm relying on you to follow through with that. So, TCU with Garrett Riley going to Clemson. Okay, what about the, the, the receivers, that the running backs, the uh, and all these offensive guys that you've recruited that, you know, that, that's that, there. They're going there because of that. 
I, I agree. You know, a lot of questions there. But prior to the the national championship game, everybody was starting to you know hop on the bandwagon because they beat Michigan. Yeah. This shows why you never should have gotten on the bandwagon. Number one, they got exposed on national television like there was no tomorrow. But number two, why things like this are not sustainable and why I go back to what I said earlier in the week that the playoff committee is not going to let this happen again. They're, you know, As long as we're in that four-team playoff, they're not going to just continue putting in the Cinderella stories because they're not sustainable. And everybody gets on the bandwagon, and everybody was looking at, oh, this is going to help their recruiting. Well, how? Because now you just lost, as you said, you just lost the offensive coordinator that made you famous. You know, that kind of changed the the offensive philosophy at TCU. Uh, uh, How long was he at TCU? One year. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. Because (laughs) the the thing about about this is so sad. After one year... You see how much he could do, and then, but it just shows you how easy it is, and how money talks. <laughs> well, coaching, and you hate it. Coaching at any level, you hate it, man. Coaching at any level is about the next job, ninety percent of the time. Unless you are just a guy who is just really happy, you know. At the high school level, you get a few guys that just love the community, and you know they enjoy the pace of life there, or whatever. But 90% of the time, coaching is about the next job. And especially at the college level where, you know, we're seeing more and more money being paid to these these coordinators, and rightfully so. Yeah. He took that job knowing if I do well as as a coordinator and I I do my job now, I'm going to get phone calls. And he knew after he got in the playoffs, I'm going to get a lot of phone calls. And everybody knew that Dabo Sweeney, Who's he, who he had some past connections with, and that's the other thing about coaching. It's all about who you know mm-hmm. and your connections that you built over the years. He had past connections with Coach Sweeney. Everybody knew that Dabo was kind of fed up with the offense and looking to change things up. After a couple of years of mediocre football, he's, he's wanting to get back to where he was previous to that. Yeah. So he looks around, and if I'm Garrett Riley, I'm going, okay, we've proven we're not a top end of the, the, the trough type of program. We're not right. competing with the SEC. They know that if they'd played Alabama prior to Georgia, they don't get to the national championship game. He he knows that. He's looking around going, we got lucky, we caught a flat footed Michigan team, but we're not gonna get that opportunity again. Right. Why not take another job? I mean I, I think that's where people forget that this is a business from their perspective. He's got to do what's best for his career and his family and staying at TCU which, oh, by the way, is going to lose all credibility when Texas and Oklahoma pull out of the Big 12 and the only real shot of a competition you have is Baylor because Oklahoma State's kind of on the rocks themselves. So you're not going to get the national exposure at TCU anymore. You've already proven that you can't compete with the top-end programs. Why stay? Why You've got to leave while the getting's good. I, I never will forget, we had a guy on staff with us at Harmony, and he wound up not taking a couple of jobs that I thought he would have been very well suited for. And he, he told me, he said, you know, I love it here. He said, but the, I, I'm running the risk that eventually these phone calls will quit coming. And they did. Eventually the phone calls stopped. Because you turn down a job once, twice, three times, you know, people get the idea that you, you're you not leaving. Why, why bother? We, you know, why call this guy? 
Garrett Riley couldn't put himself in that position. You have to leave while the phone calls are still coming. Because if you stay another year or two, you're kind of off the map, you're forgotten, you're just Lincoln Riley's little brother, you know, who doesn't have a premier job. You know, TCU, yes, is a Big 12, but outside of that, it's not a premier type of the country type of job. So I think he made what was the best decision for him. I, I'm eager to see what he can do at Clemson. Can Clemson, you know, climb back to the top of the ACC, reclaim some position there as far as the national playoff conversation uh, where we've seen them in the past? And then if you're TCU, what do you do? Where do you go? And and what's your bounce back here going to look like now? But I thought that, that was kind of a sneaky good move yesterday by Dabo Sweeney. Hurry up, get on the phone, pick him up, and move on. Uh so in the NFL, Lamar Jackson kind of provides some clarity. He tweeted out yesterday, wish I could be out there with the guys, but it's just not safe. My PCL is unstable, as he put it. He says that it's a severe grade 2 strain borderline on grade 3. Now this is, here's what's interesting to me. When it first happened, the Ravens immediately came out and said he's probably going to miss a week, but he'll be fine. He's missed, at this point, 17 practices. He hadn't played. In five weeks, or you know, whatever the case has been, five weeks now without playing football, and this is supposed to be something that you said wasn't that big of a deal. At what point are these franchises going to quit getting out in front of an injury? Because we heard this with Tua, you know, oh, he's gonna be fine, and then Tua had a seizure, and then well, we're gonna put him back out there, and Tua's okay, and we're gonna put him back out there, and then we're gonna watch film and gonna realize that. Tua's not okay, and now we can't even talk to Tua. You know, like, at what point, Jerry is, uh, Jerry Jones is infamous about getting out in front, oh, he's going to be fine, you know, he's going to be back. Why? What? At what point are we going to stop trying to get out in front of these things? You know, at what point do we say, let this play out, quit trying to get in front of the camera just for the sake of getting in front of the camera, Quit getting on the air, quit tweeting, quit whatever, and say we're going to let these scenarios play out because as it stands right now, you're going into the biggest game of the year and your guy is not ready to play. And not only that, he's coming out and saying, I'm not even close to play. It just amazes me how this situation's been handled. And this is a contract year for him. Well... I don't know. I don't know either with Lamar Jackson. Uh, it goes back to what we said is these type of quarterbacks, you put so much on your legs, and sooner or later it's going to catch up to you. Um, I don't know if, you know, will he be the same quarterback, you know, after this? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the PCL is a, it's a vital part of your being able to cut and, you know... You know a thing or two about knee injuries. Yeah. It is very important. And so, the the fact that they were trying to put him back on the field to see if he was good to go, you risked that injury getting worse. And one of the things, you know, that I've said, you know, because I injured my knee is, the knee is a very, very... Uh, and to anybody else out there that may have injured any part, ACL, PCL, MCL, or... Tell uh anything Tell Yeah, you have to you have to agree with me here is that the knee is a sensitive and vital part of our body. 
And so with Lamar Jackson in the profession that he's in, the NFL, at a quarterback, and the type of quarterback that he is, that's very – you don't want to risk uh, messing that knee up in, anymore. And that's yeah. what they did this week. And I do applaud him for coming out and because and, I seen it on uh, – I seen it yesterday. They were, were talking about, you know, that's one of the first times that they've seen uh, anyone be that graphic about their injury. Yeah. And what it was. Where he so, was up front. Yeah. So I applaud him for that, for letting, you know, letting the fans know, the people know, hey, look, I am not ready to go. And I think that was a good personal choice that he made. I'm not ready. And you don't put yourself in a predicament, in a situation where you could possibly end your career because you want to try and play hero and you feel like you've got to be there for your team. And I'm glad he did that. And you're right. These organizations, these, these training, some of these, I'm not going to talk about all of them. Some of them, they try to get ahead of these injuries and they try to dress it up yeah. for the public eye and the media. Well, it's not that bad. Well, yes, it is. It's worse than what you think. We saw it, yeah. you know, and we have common sense. And that's one thing about it is you can't keep doing this. Like other people are dumb. Just because we sitting behind the screen watching doesn't mean that we're dumb. Like we're oblivious to what's like going on. Like you can watch some injuries and go, that's not good. Yeah, exactly. And especially, uh, I think it all comes back to also his style of play. We know that his biggest asset is not his arm, it's his legs. Right. And you're talking about an unstable tendon in there that, hey, at any point, and a ligament that can tear at any point now. He says, listen, if I keep pushing the issue, it's going to tear. Well, see, then you're talking about surgery. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. Well, see, that's the thing about with the Dallas Cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott. It's the same tendon. Yeah. It's PCL. He wears a brace. And if you look at Ezekiel Elliott and how he runs today, he's a lot slower. He can't cut like he wants to. Uh, he can't plant and, and change direction like he wants to. Which kills him on the screen. Yes. And we've seen it against the the... the the rescue. There was one play that went behind the behind the, uh, the the lines, and he tried to cut back, and you know, and he just couldn't plant and get back and move forward. He just got tackled in the backfield, you mm-hmm. know, behind the line. And so you you've seen that. It's not to say Ezekiel isn't a good running back, but you can see how that injury, that knee, affects his game. And I think if Dallas would have just rested Zeke. Um, and they're trying to push instead, the issue. Yeah, and say, yeah. "All right, we're just going to put a brace on it." You be, you should have rested Zeke and allowed that tendon to heal, rather than keep putting them out there and putting them out there and putting them out there. And now it's more of, it's a, it's a liability because you don't have anybody. You, you, I mean, you just you have two other running backs. That's it. Yeah. And, and if you're the Ravens, you can't put yourself in that position. No, you can't because quarterback. But this goes back to also Kyler Murray. I mean, it, you're starting to see that these type of quarterbacks, and I go back to Robert Griffin III, yeah. that eventually that wears on you. Eventually yeah. you you get but, worn out and the, things start to fall apart. You start to tear and you're not the same quarterback. Yeah. So I think if you're Lamar Jackson, I think he did the right thing. He came out. He said, listen, I'm not ready. It's too unstable. Yeah. I think he made the best decision for the team long term because if he's still going to be the quarterback there, you don't want him injured, you know. And then for himself, he knows, yeah, I probably cost myself uh, a ch- by coming out and saying this. I probably cost myself an extension this year, but I know that they're going to franchise tag me. I don't want to go into that year injured, yeah. so I'm going to do what I got to do 
heal up and get ready. Because here's the reality. Baltimore's not winning a Super Bowl this year. They're not at that level right? You know, in the, the AFC. So they're looking around going, okay, what's best? What do we have to do? And I, I think they made the right yeah, choice. I, I do too. I, I uh, Like you said, they're not going to the Super Bowl. Uh, With or without Lamar Jackson, that's yeah. a Super Bowl team. No. Um, but that's what happens when you you put all the weight on one guy's shoulders. And you've designed, for, for the last four or five seasons, you've designed an offense around um, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and that that's the danger. But, you know, uh, it, it just brings awareness. It brings more and more awareness to uh, these organiza- organizations in the NFL trying to push players to go back out and play before they're ready. Yeah. And uh, some of these players... Not just the organizations, but these players that are going out and just playing, knowing that they're injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tour situation, if that didn't shine a bigger light than any, I don't know whatever will. Because, yeah. uh, well, heck, I, I know what that, will, but we don't want life, that to yeah, happen. That's life-threatening. Stuff. Yeah, we don't want that to happen. And so, you know, you you look at that, and you look at all the key injuries that's happened this season with Kyler Murray and. Well, the one with Deshaun and, I mean, not Deshaun, uh, Lamar Jackson and even the uh, the DeMar Hamlin one. Even that, that was a freak accident. That wasn't anything to do with uh, tackling or helmet. Yeah, that it, was just something. Just, that yeah, yeah. Um, but you look at injuries like that and you look at, you know, you don't want to see something like that happen because on the field because the, the trainers – didn't do something, mm-hmm. you know. The, the, the trainers messed up, or the trainers didn't make a, make the right call, and that's why I push for today to this day is for Tua to retire. Yeah, you know, no one wants to see see he's, he's, he's young. Nobody wants to see that. You know, him him his his health deteriorate because of a brain injury or something like that. Just retire, man. While you still you're still young, and you still got it. Yeah, you know, retire. But I, you know, I, I'm eager to see not only how this affects Lamar Jackson, but how it affects the quarterback market moving forward. How it affects, you know, some of the guys that are going to come into the NFL. How they get drafted, the way that they're utilized. How it affects Justin Fields specifically because he's like Lamar well, Jackson 2.0. Uh, Jalen, uh, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, you know, and, and we've seen what happens when Hurts is hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, that I think Prescott. That it, it goes back to we've got to get back to building a complete offense, not around one person or one philosophy, yep. but a complete offense. Uh, on that same kind of note, Derek Carr officially said goodbye uh, to the Raiders fans. This is what he put out. He said, Raiders Nation, breaks my heart I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. We've certainly been on a roller coaster in our nine years together. From the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful and appreciative of the years of support you gave to my family and me. We had our share of both heartbreaking moments and thrilling game-winning tries, and it always felt like you were there next to me. It's especially hard to say goodbye because I can honestly say that I gave you everything, uh, or everything I had every single day in season and in the off season. It certainly wasn't perfect, but I hope that I was able to leave you with more than a few great memories as Raider fans. Thank you to the city of Oakland for taking us in. Thank you to the city of Las Vegas for allowing us to proudly call you home. Thank you to the organization, my teammates, all my coaches, staff, and everyone that helped me these last nine years in those two buildings. Thanks to all of Raiders Nation that supported, encouraged, pushed, and uplifted me at different times along this journey. 
Raider Nation is truly special. I once said that if I'm not a Raider, I would rather be at home, and I meant that, but I never envisioned it ending this way. That fire burning inside of me to win a championship still rages. A fire no man can extinguish, only God. So I look forward to a new city and a new team who, no matter the circumstance, will get everything I have. Winning a championship is what I've always wanted and what I will continue to work towards. So, I mean, he made clear, listen, I wanted to be a Raider for life. The Raiders came to him, said, listen, we're going to go in a different direction. But you got that sense when they benched him for Jarrett Stidham that they wanted to see what they had in him and then start making some phone calls and have some conversations. But they make the choice now uh, not only to put him on the market, but they've gone so far as to say is, hey, listen, if we don't find uh, a trade candidate by February the 15th, we are going to... Uh, release him. So either way, Derek Carr, you know, is out in Las Vegas. He's going to be out on the market. Now you start looking around who might would be interested. And the first one on the bandwagon was the New York Jets. So New York Jets owner comes out and says, hey, listen, I know that I've got Zach Wilson, uh, but I've seen as much as I really want to see with him. Uh, he looked around. He said, you know, Joe Flacco's not the answer. I don't really think that we have the answer in-house, so he came out yesterday and said he's absolutely uh, willing to spend on a veteran quarterback amid rumors that he would get Derek Carr. He said, we've got a cap, so there's an amount you can spend. He said, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of the missing piece. So Derek Carr to New York, Derek Carr to where, but Derek Carr does seem to have a market. I, I, you get the sense that teams are going to just say, you know what, I don't know that I want to trade for him, but I'm willing to negotiate with him. Right. Uh, so I would expect that he probably won't get traded. I think you're going to see him well, be released. Yeah, he has a market. But at the, to be honest, Derek Carr is not a tradable piece anymore for anything else. Uh, Which is why it shocked me, though, that they came out and said, listen, even if you don't trade, we're going to release him. Yeah. I, that Why be so blunt about that? If you're Las Vegas, I, I play this close to the vets. I keep him. You know, I look to trade him, but I don't let anybody know, listen, if, if you don't trade for him, he's still going to be on the market. Make them think, if you want Derek Carr, we're willing to just bench him. If you want Derek Carr, you're going to have to trade. Because now you're not going to get anything in return. You're literally going to have to cut him and let him go. I guess that's just how committed they are to moving on. Yeah. But uh, that was shocking to me. Why, why put that out there? I would, you know, if I'm... You know, Mark, uh, Mark Davis or, or the GM there in, in uh, Las Vegas, or if I'm Josh McNeil's the head coach, I'm playing this close to the vest just to see what I can get. See who, if you're New York and you're the Jets and, and, and you know, your owner's already coming out and saying, listen, our missing piece is a veteran quarterback. So he's already indicated, I'm, I'm, I'm out on Zach Wilson. You know, we drafted him, we trade up to get whatever, but I'm out on him. I'm ready to move on. That indicates to me a team that might be willing to part with a couple of pieces. And so I just didn't understand from Las Vegas' perspective <coughs> what was the benefit of putting it out there that either way Derek Carr is going to be on the market. I didn't understand that at all. And if you're Las Vegas, who do you think you're getting? Because you, who, who are you getting that's going to make you that much better? Well, <laughs> and you look around, is it really Derek Carr that keeps you from being a playoff team? That's no, the question. No, by far no. It's, you ha- you don't have a good defense. Exactly. One. I mean, you, uh, you, there's more to this. Yeah, it's, it's not Derek Carr. 
And and another thing is, you bench him to figure out what this other quarterback has. But you waited late in the season to do so. You're not going to see much. No. Therefore, they're going to draft another quarterback. But Yeah, they're going to the draft. Because you don't get the sense with Las Vegas that they're going to go sign another veteran or trade for a veteran. You get the sense that Josh McDaniels wants to hit the reset button. And and it it, it is a good move on McDaniels' part. Because it seems like in the NFL, organizations are willing to give you a year or two longer if you get a new quarterback. Yeah. Because they're not, not, you know, they're paying a rookie contract. They're not having to dole out a lot of money to do it. So they're willing to, to evaluate you and give you a little bit of a longer leash with that guy. And, and you get the sense that that's what Josh McDaniels wants. He says, okay, listen, I can't have the second head coaching job in a row go south after two years because then nobody's ever going to hire me again. Right, right. And so I've got to do something here. Well, he's looking around that organization. He sees a bad defense. He sees not a whole lot of weapons on offense. Yes, you've got Devontae Adams, but outside that, it's not like you're you know, running over with, with offensive weapons there in Las Vegas. And so he says, okay, what do I do to buy myself time? Oh, I know. I get rid of Derek Carr. I draft a quarterback, and I try to build something around him, and I tell the front office, okay, I've got a different vision for the organization. Because, to be fair, he inherited John Gruden's vision. Those were John Gruden players. Mm-hmm. Although, granted, initially, you know, we didn't know if John Gruden was really sold on Derek Carr, but it seemed that that relationship grew, you know, over time. Yeah. He inherited John Gruden's thing. So it seems like he's buying himself another year or two by saying, I'm going to hit the reset button, I'm going to go draft a quarterback. Now, the guy who is getting caught up in all of this mess, just as Aaron Rodgers did in Green Bay, is Devontae Adams. So they, you know, you trade Devontae Adams to stick it to, to Aaron Rodgers, and now Devontae Adams is stuck with a, a an organization that's not necessarily in rebuild, but is in reset. That you know is trying to put things together. And are you going to really waste his career, the best years of his career, waiting on a quarterback? Yeah, look, that's Green Bay's jacked up for that uh, in the first place, but. Um, he was a guy, you know, when this all happened, you know, he told me, like, if he's out, then I'm out. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> you, it's not like the guys, and this is what, you know, they make decisions as if these players are going, are getting younger, not older. And you're right, Deshaun Jackson, I'm not Deshaun Jackson. Uh, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is, you know, he's not only at, at the, on the back end of his career, he still has, he's in his prime. He still has... Some good years left in them. And so you want to get somebody in there that's good for him, you know, that can get him the ball, you know, kind of contribute to his uh, style of play. But at the same time, you have a coach who, I, I don't know, doesn't, didn't know how to get that team together because you kind of, you getting rid of uh, their car is kind of lowballing it. And it's like you said, that team is John Gruden's. John Gruden knew how to get that team going. He got that team going. And now it's like, okay, now the rebuild or reset stage didn't start this year. It started as soon as John Gruden left. Because you had you got somebody in there totally new who was then riding off of what John Gruden built and put together. And we're and talking then, about a team that was a playoff team a year ago. Yeah, and then you, you do that. And now, 
it's like, okay, then you implement your own offense. Now you kind of messed stuff up. And I don't blame that on anybody else but the NFL. The NFL ruined the Raiders and what they had when they did what they did to John Gruden. You, you, in the middle of the season, you did this. When this team was rolling, they were doing good. They were doing great. And then you fire the head coach. You know, the, the head coach is out. And now you bring in somebody new. You have an interim coach, and then now you have a new coach. And now it's like they're having to figure it figure it out all over again. Derek Carr, you know, he can he can throw the ball, but he's not the type of quarterback to stand back there and throw it all game. You know, he's not a he's not a Tom Brady. He's not an Aaron Rodgers. He's not that type of quarterback. He's a good quarterback that can throw it when need when needed, but he needs a good run game run game to to, to help him out, and that's what. John Gruden had going over there in in, in uh, Las Vegas, and but, McDaniel's wants to run his you know that New England style offense, yeah, and, and, and that's fine. But I also think that he's setting the blueprint now for what coaches are going to start doing when they get that first job and the first year doesn't go you know their way. Okay, let's get rid of the quarterback so that I can give myself me, another year or two to to be evaluated. To me, that's the worst thing that you do to a quarterback that's been there that long. Is that you blame it on him? Oh yeah, that's that's the. I mean, this, and we've seen Derek Carr year in and year out give play it, his heart. Yes, out. give it his all, and this is why I say they lowballed him. They, for for whatever reason, you do this to this man when he's he's poured his heart out. He's played his heart out with whatever team that he's had. He's given it his all. And you didn't necessarily give him weapons. No, I mean, it's, it's not like you really built around him. Exactly, and so it's it you do that, and it, it makes them look bad as an organization. If I was a quarterback going that could possibly go there, I would really consider that. Are you gonna do me the same way when uh, everything all else goes bad, and I'm playing my heart yeah, out? I'm two years into my rookie deal. Yeah. And... Are you gonna do me the same way? But are you gonna put the blame on me? And that's the thing. Everything else going bad, but and I'm out here. I'm trying to make it work, but oh, it's your fault. You're out. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what they did to Derek Carr, man. And I feel bad for him. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve to go out that way in Oakland. You know, it would have been better if it was more like a Matt Stafford kind of thing with the Lions. You know, I leave on my own. Yeah, and see y'all later. Or, yeah, you know, or you have Matt Ryan, you know, leaving Atlanta, kind of on his own. Yeah, uh, but they, they did this to Derek Carr, and it makes them look bad as an organization. Uh, but whoever they get, and, and this quarterback now, he's probably not going to get too much of a yeah, chance. Yeah, Jared Stidham's not going to be the starter. Yeah, I think you're going to go draft a guy, which we're going to look at here in a little bit. Yeah, but then on the other side, like I said. Jets are in on a veteran quarterback, so I got three three options for you. There there will probably be others out there, you know, at various times. But as of the way it stands today, probably your top three options for a veteran quarterback: Derek Carr, Jimmy G, Baker Mayfield. If you're New York, you're the Jets. Out of those three, who are you taking? Derek Carr, Jimmy G, Baker Mayfield. Who says I want to be a starter in the NFL? I already, I already spoke my piece on Baker, uh, so I'm exiting him out of that group. Out of Derek Carr and Jimmy G, wow. 
you know what you're getting out of those two. Now, they're a little bit different. And here, here's here's where I'm a little bit hung up on it. You do have some weapons there in, in New York. You got some receivers. Carr can air it out. He got got a better arm. Yeah. Carr is more of a I can go win you a football game. <coughs> yeah. Jimmy G is more of a I'm not gonna lose you a football game. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna lose, but I'm not gonna necessarily win the, I think it comes down to what does Robert Solomon do? Now he fired his offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, yesterday. So he's gonna be in the offensive coordinator's market. I think that plays a big part in what quarterback do you bring in? Because what's your philosophy going to be? Is it going to be run first? Is it going to be a balanced offense? If it's a balanced offense, I think you go Derek Carr. If it's run first, it's going to be some intermediate passing, you know, mixed in there. I think you go with Jimmy G. Uh, but I, but interesting. Uh, the, the 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 thing with the Jets. Now, where's is, Zach Wilson going? By the way, like, I, nobody's talking about that. The, the, the Jets are going to move on from Zach Wilson, who, by the way, never should have been drafted that high. We didn't know if he could play at BYU. And, and I'm, I'm going to get to that in a second, too, when we talk about these yeah. quarterbacks. The thing about the Jets is they have to figure out their uh, offensive uh, identity. identity. They don't – because when you – okay, I'm going to put this out here. You have a receiver like Denzel Mims, who is 6'3", 6'4", maybe I think 6'4", 6'5". And says, trade me. And, yeah, because they're not going to use him. But then you hold him hostage, rather, than just hold on to him, hold him hostage, and you still don't use him. And you have a coach just saying, I'm not, he doesn't fit my scheme. Okay, then why is he still there? Yeah. So if you get a quarterback like Jimmy G that can air it out, and Denzel runs about a 4-4-4-3. Uh, you get a quarterback that can air it out. You, that's a big body receiver, man. He can do you some stuff. He can do you some good. As you have constructed, to, I think Carr fits. Yeah, I, I think Carr is the you better know. fit than Jimmy G. I mean, because you don't have a great run game there in New York. No, the Jets. No, and so you 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 do what you what's best. You pass the ball. You know that's what you that's what they've done. But they won't do it for some odd reason. Uh, that coach is weird. Um, yeah, Robert Sala is a, a, a different guy, and he's a defensive-minded coach. Yeah. So he's a little bit different, but we'll see. But I go back, I, I want to circle back to what I said, too. What about Zach Wilson? Who's taking that guy? Is he, you Carolina? Know, I, I can't see that because then, I mean, you're just replacing one mediocre quarterback with another. But I said Carolina. Point, Zach it- Wilson does not appear as if he can play in the NFL. He appears as a guy who... Has no clue. Like, he thinks he's better than he is. And so you get the sense of a guy who's not coachable, you know, who, who's not in a position to, to be a franchise quarterback. He was drafted like he was one, which, mm-hmm. why that ever happened, I really don't understand. But he was. You drafted him like he, he was going to be the, the, the man. You know, he was going to turn around New York and get the Jets back on the map. That hasn't happened. And he's not even all the way, this is what, year uh, two or three of his rookie deal, and you're already saying, okay, yeah, we're, we're done. And we're not only are we done with him, we're going to go pay a veteran quarterback. Then you're going to have to pay money, like serious money. We're not talking about rookie contract money. We're going to pay serious money. I think you have to move on from him. But if you do move on, you put him out there in the trade market, you've got to think... And he's got to be okay with the fact he's probably a backup, at least at this point, until he proves otherwise. 
I don't see anybody in the NFL looking at him going, we're going to make that guy our starter. We're going to hitch our wagon yeah, that, to him. Yeah, and this is steep. Because <laughs> you have so many teams that need a quarterback, so it's a it's a steep hill to climb because if you're going to go to a team and then they draft a quarterback, you're looking at possibly being, like you said, being a backup at this point. But I said Carolina because, I mean, you, you – Sam Donald is on a free agency year. You know, he's a free agency free free agent now. And so you're looking for a quarterback. If if the Jets are gonna get rid of uh Zach Wilson. Why not go draft one though? With a clean slate that you well, think you, you can well, develop okay, well, on a rookie you, deal. You could. You could. But as also it wouldn't hurt to have him as a backup. Just to see what he has. Because so, as a I mean, as a backup, there's not really a promise. Position. I mean, you if he, it doesn't work out, you play him. But by all accounts, he's a starter or else. So, I mean, do you really want to have another situation like you did with Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and those guys? Do you really, as, as an organization, okay, well, but, do you well, put yourself in that position again? That, that's my only hangout with trading for Zach Wilson if you're Carolina. Whereas you could just completely, well, <laughs> with a new head coach, hit the reset button. Yeah, and say we're gonna get a guy on a you know the front end of his rookie deal, and we don't have to deal with the ego that is Zach Wilson. So okay, that's all right. Let's let's break down. Where does he go? What's the? I mean, because okay, we know we we know uh, he could go to Denver. Well, no, they have rush. They ain't gonna do that. Uh, does he go to Los Angeles? Because as that situation situation stands, you get the sense that if they don't bring back Baker Mayfield, they're just going to have to settle for somebody. Because Matt Stafford is probably not your guy. Even if Sean McVay stays, I can't imagine that he's going to hook his wagon to that. And if he's gone, you can't imagine that a new new coach is going to do that. At least you would get a little bit of time with Zach Wilson on a rookie deal and what's left of it. Because you're not if you're if you're the Rams, you're not drafting a quarterback necessarily. Yeah, you're not that high in the draft. Not unless somebody falls, you know. Yeah. Um. I don't know what team he can go to. I, I really can't. I mean, give the you Texans any... aren't going to bring him in. They're going to no. draft high. You yeah, know, they're I, drafting I, a guy. I really can't tell you. Indianapolis is that they're drafting. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm saying. Like. All these teams cause that we talked about it yesterday at the show, and we looked through, we went through a list of teams and players, uh, quarterbacks that are out there, who are fitting for these teams. And Zach Wilson's not as good as those no. guys. Like from what we've, that's seen. what I'm saying. They're not. I don't know who he could go to. He's gonna have to be a backup. There's no because everybody else outside of those teams are pretty set at the at that position. He's gonna have to go somewhere as a backup. I he could go to he can go to a team like um I I say I say Denver as a backup or a um possibly a uh if there's a coach Redskins maybe possibly but if there's a coach I mean that, Commanders I'm sorry Commanders we don't want to get canceled. Commanders. Please don't sue us. <laughs> I, I say com- uh, com- commanders. Okay. Let me just throw this out there. 
if there's a coach in the NFL that could salvage his career, my take it is. It's not because he's going to play, but as far as just being able to work with this guy, being rebuilt by this guy, and maybe, you know, put himself out there at some point, you know, after the contract's up, and being able to, to say, look, I worked with him. It's Andy Reid. Greatest offensive-minded guy out there right now. Why not go sit under Patrick Mahomes, Listen to what the, you know is going on there. Let Andy Reid work on you, mold you, shape you, whatever. You're not going to play, you know, unless, unless you know late in the season or Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. You're not going to be the guy, but you can sit there and you can learn because as it seems, you're not the game of musical cheers as far as a starting spot is going on, and you don't have a seat at the table. So if I'm Zach Wilson, I'm going to look around and I'm going to say, okay, who can salvage? my career, and give me the best chance. And it's Andy Reid. He did, you know, he, he he has shaped quarterback after quarterback after quarterback. It's Andy Reid. Yeah, pause right quick. You just say what's up to Josh, our friend Josh. Oh, you. Josh is on. Yeah. <laughs> but, <clears throat> I, okay. Because that was another team that was popping up in my mind. Two was the Chiefs, but... I didn't go with the Chiefs because I know that they're set and I know that... Well, like I said, it's not fit. about playing. It's about being developed. Okay, well, then... Okay, all right. Well, then you're talking about... The, okay, then, yeah, Chiefs will be a good team. Now, I think Zach Wilson's ego's too big for that, but I'm saying yeah. as far as if I'm Zach Wilson, that's what I do. If, I, if I'm a quarterback that just needs to be developed, right? And, and I yeah, understand well, I've lost a seat at the table. Yeah, Andy Reid's the guy. Yeah. And then, honestly... uh. Ooh, this is steep. Um, honestly, Mike McCarthy would be another, another one with the Cowboys. Yes. Well, yeah, but you don't know if he's going to be in Dallas. After well, this wherever he goes, wherever he goes, if indeed he goes anywhere. Uh, but you also get the sense with him, okay? If he goes somewhere, he he's held on to the Cowboys job too long now. And by the time they're out of the playoffs, is he going to get an interview for one of these other jobs? Like his dude, okay. Here's the thing. Is Denver going to bypass the two assistants that they're trying to poach to interview Mike McCarthy? Or bring the whole staff. I mean, order <laughs> yeah. the whole meal. Come, come Just, on down. Yeah. yeah. With the appetizers, you know. You got uh, bring everybody, you know. so Can't bring that, but you can well, bring no, everybody well, else. Yeah. And you want to bring Pollard with you? Like, come on. No, Pollard don't go to Denver. I would like for Dallas to keep Pollard. Uh, it, because, like, after this, these two years, it just seems like, well, it's free agent and goodbye. Yeah. You, 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 so I, but I, I'm just interested to see, you know, what is Zach Wilson? What's the market for Zach Wilson? And what does Zach Wilson think he can do? You know, at this point in his career, but it's it, you get the sense that the Jets are washing their hands of him. We're going to go get a veteran quarterback. We're going to move forward. We're going to do what we got to do. Yeah. You know, to win football games. Uh, on the the coaching carousel front. Colts and Carolina are likely out on Sean Payton. Carolina doesn't seem to be a fit because uh, New Orleans says, listen, we're not doing a deal with you to give you a head coach. <laughs> uh, Indy, <laughs> Indy, Indy said, you know, is appearing like, listen, we're not going to go after him. We're going to probably wind up with somebody who's not been a head I, coach. I, and I, I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. He's going to Houston. If he doesn't, listen... It's either Houston or Cow- or the Cowboys, but he's going to be in Texas. 
I think so, too. He's going to be in Texas. You get that sense, especially with what we were told about him wanting to stay in the South. Right. That he doesn't want to go up North. Yeah. If, you feel like he, I mean, you get the sense that he took the Denver interview just to kind of put it out there that, hey, I'm serious about wanting yeah. to coach again. That I'm not going to just sit here in this cushy little fox well, job. And Denver's one of the most, other than the other than the Cowboys job, other than the Texans job, Denver's that third place seat. Well, it's, it's still an interesting job because you have a good defense and you can work some things out with the offense. Yeah. Um, and so those are the top three jobs out there right now. Then you have Carolina sitting and the Colts sitting on the back on the back burner because you don't really know. Okay, what do you have with the Colts? What kind of offensive identity do you have with the Colts? Uh, the defense needs some working, and and then it's the same with Carolina. You you have you have to work out different things with those teams. So the top three teams are the Cowboys, Houston, and Denver. Houston's interesting just because you are going to get drafted that two spot for sure. Yeah. Possibly still could trade up and get the one pick. Uh, that's what, you know, I think intrigues him about that job. But Houston doesn't – I would not try. I, I'd stay put. I, I, and, and other, in other words, I think Chicago should really trade down because if that organization had any kind of sense, you look at your offensive line. We seen it yesterday. We look that at that offensive line is atrocious. Really, and just, and that shows you Justin Fields is not running because he wants to. He's running for his life. Yes, he but has. He's got to. a thousand yards rushing, and out of that thousand yards, I'm willing to bet that 600 of them come about because he doesn't want to die. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not all designed runs. Yes, yeah. uh, for sure. But I, that was interesting to me. That listen, you know, Colts don't think that they want to really get in that market. Carolina's already been told, listen, you're not getting. Yeah. We're not going to trade with you. But the Colts did interview Eric Bieniemy yesterday, who has been a hot commodity for the past you know, three or four coaching cycles, but yeah. can't seem to get a job. And I think the biggest hang-up with him is this. Eric Bieniemy does not call the plays in Kansas City. And I think that hurts him. You know, Andy Reid calls the plays. Now, Bieniemy's in on the conversations. Bieniemy you know, put helps put together the game okay, plan. Yeah. Earlier in the year, though, you had him and Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines kind of going at it, and you had more players coming out saying, listen, he doesn't call the plays. He doesn't deserve to be a head coach. So I think that hinders him. You know, Andy Reid has, you know, in the last couple weeks come out and said, hey, I hope he gets a chance. I hope he gets a job. Okay, but here's the thing. If you don't give him a chance, why are you wishing him to get a chance? Well, I think because Andy Reid is Andy Reid. That's, I, but, There's not a better play caller in the NFL than Andy Reid, and Andy Reid knows that. So why in the world would you? That's just that how, over to somebody yeah. Else? Well, that's just like the Bill Belichick, you know. For uh, that's the thing when coaches, you don't know what they got because they're behind the coach and they're under a coach that's calling the plays for them. They're just there to hold a position. Yeah, they that's, they do things in practice. Yeah, ninety percent of the in-game stuff is handled by them. Yeah, but that's where you ask that question. How am I supposed to know what he has if you won't allow, if you won't allow him to show what he has? That's the that's the hang up with these coaches, these head coaches who call the plays for so long. The old coaches like Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, you have assistants, Mike under, McCarthy, Mike McCarthy. That well, Mike McCarthy had to, uh, <laughs> but that's a different story. Um, but you have these coaches that do that, you have these assistants and these uh, coordinators that sit under these coaches, that coach under them, that could be full of greatness if they would just give them a shot. But 
that's not happening because, well, I know what I would run, but he wants to run something different. He's the head coach, he's, and he calls plays, so therefore I have to follow him. I have to listen to him. No one's going to ever know what they're worth until you let them call a game, a few games at least. And, and I think the other thing that hurts the enemy is nobody's come out and said why they didn't hire him. Yeah. Does he not interview well? Does he not have a plan? It, you know, and, and I get it's it's kind of rare, but everyone's why that these organizations would come out and say we didn't hire him because X, Y, and Z. But you haven't even heard any rumblings about why Eric Bieniemy doesn't get a job. And you've heard speculation, of course, the heaviest part being that he doesn't call the plays. But nobody knows why. And if you're the Colts, that seems like a job that maybe Bieniemy could come in, not a lot of pressure, you're going to get your a, a, a rookie quarterback, so you're going to have that leeway there with that contract. You, know, you do have a few weapons there. But it also appears as if the Colts are out on Jeff Saturday. Now, I understand that he's going to get an interview, but if, if he's your guy, why such a wide net? If if Bubba Ventrino is your guy, why such a wide net? Why talk to you know these others? You get the sense that they're going to give them, those two a, a, an interview, yeah. you know, because, hey, we, we brought you in. Jim Irsay kind of put uh, Jeff Saturday in a no-win situation with what he did. So the least you can do is give him an interview for the, the permanent job. But you do definitely get the sense that Indy's going to move on, that they're going to do something different. That's good. <laughs> That's very good. As, I mean, because... But this may be the one job that the enemy fits, because there's not a whole lot of pressure to win this year. Yeah, um, and <laughs> I'm glad they're moving on. I'm glad they're looking at someone different, because Jeff Saturday has not proved himself to be able to, you know... Give him another shot, and if he was given, they want to give him another shot. That was the case. I want to know. I would like to want you know see and know what could he do different. Yeah, because he's he came out and said, "Well, if I was the head guy, you know, we talked about the SJ on the show. Yeah. If I was the head guy, well, what does that even mean? Yeah, what would you do different? I mean, we seen you blow a thirty-three point lead. What would you do different? Yeah, <laughs> I, there's 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 if you can say, well, if I had a different quarterback, okay, I understand that. Okay, cool. Well, what would you do with that different quarterback? What kind? Of, what is your offensive scheme, your offensive philosophy? What's your plans for the defense? You know, who fits your defense? Would you want a different uh, defensive coordinator, even an offensive coordinator? What are you going to do, Jeff, Saturday? And that's why I thought it was very just just asinine at this point that, the, that Indy would even consider – Extending that. Yeah. And not only that, the special teams coach. As we know now, we watched yesterday that most of those 33 points came from special teams. <laughs> uh, and the defense. The offense really didn't do much. Uh, which says a lot about that game, uh, actually, against Minnesota. That game against Minnesota. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? What different would What difference would you make, you know, on that team? As a head coach. So I, I hope, you know, the enemy gets a shot. Um, like, like it's just like you, I think he does, he deserves it. Um, somebody has to give him a shot and see what he can do. Yeah. So there was a meeting, speaking of more coaching changes, there was a meeting between Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft this past week, you know, sit down, 
let's go over things. And, you know, there was a sense where, hey, this is the first time in quite a long time that Kraft's going to put some pressure on Belichick. And one of the, the things that came out of that meeting is you've got to go get an actual offensive coordinator. There needs to be some changes to your coaching staff. Cliff Kingsbury is being thrown around. Bill O'Brien's being thrown around, which I think that that sets the tone for who's going to be in Alabama uh, next year because, you know, there, there's a, a, a kind of a cycle there with Nick Saban of helping these coaches get back on their feet. And you do get the sense that, hey, if Bill O'Brien moves on to the NFL, Cliff Kingsbury may get a shot, you know, to come to Alabama. Uh, but there are going to be some changes in New England. He's going to have to go get him a, a, a surefire offensive coordinator. It'd be interesting to see how that works with Mac Jones. Maybe that helps you know get him back on his feet because Mac Jones got a bad deal. You know, I understand that he didn't handle things the way that he should have handled things. But if you're New England, you've got to get back to being a true contender. Uh, you've got to get back to being a perennial uh, playoff team. You made the playoffs last year. Everybody expected it this year. Things went south real quick and in a hurry. And so I think you've got to go get a guy. you got to establish an identity and get back on your feet if you're New England. Because even Bill Belichick can't continue to lose. That, yeah. That's the bottom line. You can't continue uh, to, to lose there. Talking about quarterbacks, we did some research. You know, So there's some teams out there that have come out. And it all stems from comments. You know, earlier in the week after Chicago got the number one pick, uh, their GM came out and said, listen, I would have to really see something to want to move on, uh, you know, and, and to go draft a quarterback. But there's some teams out there that, that are looking uh, probably to the draft to get their quarterback. So we kind of did some film study on these guys, uh, the top ten quarterbacks that have been coming out. And here, here was our predictions. Now, we're going to do more of this as we move closer to the draft. and things. Yeah. These are just early hey, I wanted to do some digging and, and throw out some hypothetical possibilities. C.J. Stroud, I got him going to Indy. Seems like he could he could fit there. Uh, I would say Hendon Hooker, maybe he winds up in Carolina. You know, and, and especially I think that's largely affected, though, by who you get as your head coach. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you got Cameron Ward possibly going to Seattle. He You know, he's already at Washington State. You keep him in the, the, the state. Yeah. Come on down. And you don't even have, he's the guy, and, and here's why I think he's a good fit. One, his style of play, but two, he's he's out of the, the guys coming out, he's the least NFL ready, in my opinion. And so, you look at him, maybe you could bring in Geno Smith on another two-year deal, let's say. And you tell him, learn from that guy. Right. Because Geno Smith got you the playoffs. You know, yeah. you're playing a playoff game this weekend. And so... I think that, you know, you look at that, and, and, and that could be a good fit. Uh, we talked about Vegas. I think Will Levis from Kentucky. Uh, he seems to fit maybe what their philosophy is going to be moving forward, uh, and I think that that could be a big deal. Then you got uh, Jaron Hall, another BYU quarterback, who, you know, can have a black eye because of the Zach Wilson situation. It's kind of hard to gauge how good those quarterbacks really are. Maybe he winds up with uh, the commanders over there in Washington. And then... Uh, let's see, one more, you know, there, there's kind of the, the ones that I looked at that said these are the teams that I feel like are going to draft a quarterback, maybe not go trade for one, go sign for one. There's some other quarterbacks going to be available, and the closer that we get, you're going to start seeing things, hearing things. But those are my early predictions, just because that seems to be the topic this week is who are we going to draft and who are we trading, you know, to get a pick or if we've already got a pick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I thought that was some some interesting takes there, and of course, Bryce Young, I got him going to Houston. 
No matter yeah. what. Because you get the sense that if Chicago keeps the one, they're not draft. I, now, it's going to be hard. Here's where I, I agree with you. I think if you're Chicago, if you're not moving on from Justin Fields, you have to trade away the number one pick. Yeah. Because you can't... They so desperately need an offensive line. But you can't draft an offensive lineman in the first round. Well, you can. At the number one. Not, not at the number, the number one, one pick. pick. Not with this class of quarterbacks. And number two, why would you do that when you could go... Get him at five or six, let's say. So okay, who's the who's the uh, what? Does, Chicago doesn't need any receivers. Uh, they need an offensive line. But do you do you drop that low in the draft? I yeah, mean, I think you go down to five. Somebody's gonna fall to you at that point, and I think you have to shop the pick. If you're if you're committed to Justin Fields, I think you shop the pick. You see what you can get. You, you're probably gonna get a pretty decent haul because everybody's gonna want Bryce Young. Yeah. So, you know, like, cause you you got to imagine that you're going to be trading with a team that, that wants a quarterback, that, that they're sold on Bryce Young as a franchise quarterback. Uh, so I think you get that, and you, you get what you can, then you can go draft an offensive lineman, go sign some things, some guys in the offseason, is, and is, build around Justin Fields. Hold on. Now, is, is Travis – yeah, Travis Martin, is he still with the Texans? Yes. I – Whew, as bad as it would be, but you still could go get another offense, another right tackle. True. And and the draft, or is he a is he a tackle or a guard? Oh no, he's a center, isn't he? Hold on, I'm looking this up. Yeah. <clears throat> because the the Chicago need they need a line, and if you go back and you watch that Cowboys game, which is one of the the probably. One of Chicago's best rushing games. What is he? Travis Martin. I, I couldn't find him. Sure, it's not something else. Whose brother plays with the, the Texans? Somebody. It's. Is it Travis? So, Zach Martin's brother play. Yeah. Who does he play with? Uh, that's what I'm trying. To, okay, that's who you're talking about. Zach. Zach Martin's brother. Name might not be Travis. I don't know where I'm getting Travis from. Uh, let's see here. Nick. And he plays for... Uh, appears to be in Houston. Let me confirm that. He's a center. Uh, he's with Washington. Oh, he's with Washington. Yeah. Oh, daggum. Daggum it, man. Wait, wait, is he starting? Yeah, he's the starting center. Go figure. I thought so. He goes beats his brother's team. Yeah, I, I thought I remembered him playing against the Cowboys. That's why I was get a sack trying to remember which game. Yeah. Could get a sack against him. That's why. But, no. Uh, so, scratch that. But I'd trade somebody. If I were Houston, to, to, to move up. But then... I, who... who Whoever has because I'm thinking the number five pick too, but I can't, I can't think. You you have you need an offensive lineman. I don't know where you start with that because you have the running backs, you have quarterback, you have. Uh, Seattle is at five. They're going to be looking for a quarterback, but do they have to have Bryce Young? I mean, that's going to be the question there. Okay, so you got Indy at four. Okay, but don't don't go that low. 
Go five to ten. Well, five, as far as teams looking for a quarterback, five is Seattle. Six, uh, the sixth pick doesn't need a quarterback. I, off the top of my head, I can't, uh, but I just wrote down the teams that were looking for a quarterback. Okay. Seven's going to be Vegas. Nine's going to be Carolina. This is the nastiest because... The Bears having the number one pick changes everything. Yeah, because they don't need another quarterback. Unless they decide we're going to hit the reset button and rebuild again. But at, even and at that, you don't want to put a quarter a, a rookie quarterback in that situation under a, the atrocity of that offensive line that you have. It's horrible. You don't want to put a Bryce Young back there. You don't want that. So that's what I'm saying. That's that's priority number one. Now, unless they want to go build on their defense and then draft that, but that'll. Maybe that could suffice, but I don't know a, a defensive player that's worthy of a number one pick overall. No, I mean, I, I think you just got to trade that pick away. Well, we're coming up on the, the end of the show here, and I uh, want to make our playoff picks real quick. Okay, so for this weekend, you've got Jacksonville at the Chargers. Uh, who you got in that one? I'm taking, uh, I, I Jacksonville say Jacksonville. And Chargers? And Chargers, I'm going to say Chargers. I think Jacksonville's good, but I think you probably edge them out this weekend with that game being in Los Angeles. Mm, I got Jacksonville. Okay. So you've got Jacksonville. Yeah. Uh, And then you've got Cincinnati uh, and Baltimore. I've got Cincinnati. I'm I'm assuming you're going to take Cincinnati. You got. Yeah. yeah. uh, Buffalo and Miami. I'm taking Buffalo. Uh, let's see then. Uh, you've got Dallas and Tampa. I'm taking Tampa. I'm taking Dallas. But and it, it hurts by, me. It pains me. Yeah, I, I'm taking Dallas by two or three. Touch, yeah, touchdown at, a touchdown at best. Okay. Uh, like I said, as a as a Cowboys person, no, I got to I got to stick with my stick with my team. Stick yeah, but with I'm my in guns. the business of making well, sound football picks. Well, that's my sound. Pick. Okay. Minnesota and New York. I've got New York. The Giants. Beating Minnesota. Whoo. Undecided on that one. I want, the Gi- I want the Giants to win, but I don't believe they can win. So you've got Minnesota. If you don't believe the Giants can I'm, win. I'm saying I'm, undec- I'm undecided. I'm just saying that's one. Yeah, toss up. I'm waiting to see Okay, and then San Francisco and Seattle. I'm taking the 49ers, of course. Brock Purdy. I think continues his run. Which I hate that. I kind of want Pete Carroll to win. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm i taking Seattle. Wow. I'm taking Seattle. With that with that offense, I think they can get some stuff going. I could be wrong, but I'm... I'm they might can, yeah. but it's just, to me, it's tough to pick against, you know, San Francisco and what they've this, been doing. But the... I, I agree, but like I said, Purdy hasn't been tested. True. But okay. We, you know what? No, I'm gonna go with Purdy because if he's tested and he and he uh, prospers, then that, that that shows me. But then again, I so said you're changing I, your pick. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going Final with answer. I'm, uh, 49ers. Okay, I'm going with 49ers. All right. And then uh, last thing I wanted to cover real quick before we get off here, 
uh, and in the show today. The NFL is changing the overtime rules, so the new rule says uh, both teams will have a chance to score a touchdown. No more, you know, because the, oh, like the previous, college, yeah. So the pre, exactly the previous rule was if you went down and kicked a field goal, then the the other team had a chance. If you went down and scored, that was it. But after you know the debacle that was the Bills in Kansas City, and everybody wanted to see Josh Allen get another chance. You know, we all kind of were on that bandwagon. They did go ahead and vote yesterday to change the rule. Both teams get a chance. And I think that changes things. That that definitely changes because now it doesn't matter. The corn toss doesn't necessarily matter unless you really think we can go stop them. Yeah. But outside of that, you know, it's not, hey, we're going to get it and go score. Well, it's Okay, that's fine and dang. But what happens when both teams scores? Then it just goes to the next score went. So then, you know, like like it was previously where... So you keep scoring until somebody wins. Well, you score, you score, and then the next score, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, wins the ball game. That's it. Whereas previously... So you don't go into another... So that, well, hold on. You don't go... You go into a second overtime? Yeah. and the, the But the next team to win, wins. Okay, whoever scores first the second yes. time wins. Okay. Or score, yeah. Because previously, you know, it was you went down and kicked a field goal, so the other team got a chance now to go down and either kick a field goal or score a touchdown. Yeah. But if you scored a touchdown, that was it. Now it's going to be touchdown, touchdown, next team, whether it's field goal or touchdown, wins. So I think it kind of evens the playing bit. And it, goes, it, it all stems from the fact that you had that game between Kansas City and Buffalo – and everybody watched and said if Josh Allen had How do you feel? First week, being live every day. I am stumped. I'm tired. My and, and this weather has not made it any better. But it's been fun, man. It's like um, I've got my full course, full meal of sports this week, and it never stops. It it is continuous, yeah. especially with the uh, NFL now. With college, it's been consistent, you know, with Jim Harbaugh and everything. But the NFL is always something different. There's always every day, yeah, some big news in the coaching world or with the players. So, um, yeah, this week has been interesting, and uh, but it's been it's been fun, you know, implementing new things and uh, you know, starting this new journey, of, of course. But one of the things I, I I do I do point out is that we. Uh, are able to talk about what everybody else doesn't talk about. Yep, we 
God has blessed yeah. us with this opportunity. So, and we're glad that you've joined us for it. Yeah. We're going to be back Monday morning, nine a.m. Nine a.m. And so we want to see you there. Be watching for things on our social media platforms: Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, all the above. We're going to be out there this weekend. Get your fill of football. We'll be back on Monday to talk about it. Y'all have a great day and head it into a wonderful weekend. Peace.